So this week, we got, we got this week and next week, and then we're going we're gonna to study the book of 1 John. And by the way, I, I put that on your uh, next steps today. If you've got one of the engagement sheets here on the back side, one of those is to read that book. And I know that might seem intimidating to some of you, maybe who don't read your, your Bible a lot, but it's really only like a page and a half. It's a pretty easy read, uh, depending on the version that you're using. I would encourage you to read 1 John in the two weeks to come, because we're going to be studying that book for the, the following weeks leading up to Easter. So I'd invite you to kind of be preparing your hearts for worship in that way. So these last two weeks of Family Bible, we're going to talk about a few more of the promises of God. And this week is kind of a big topic. It's kind of a huge deal. And it's this title that is kind of ridiculous, How Salvation Works. It's kind of crazy thought. We talk about salvation all the time. We talk about Jesus saving us. And, and there's been a, so much use of that in the church that maybe it's overused in some ways. Maybe we don't... Uh, fully think through or understand what the salvation that we have in Jesus means to us. And I don't know if you're like me at all, but whenever I was growing up, I was the kind of kid that always, well, Chris would say I still do, took things apart. You know, if it's, if it's, if it's, if it's I wonder how it works. Do you ever feel like that? Are you the kind of person that kind of just tinkers with something? You just want to understand it. You want to get it. And, and sometimes we think we know how stuff works. And then we can take it apart and we have, realize we have no idea what's really going on here. I remember one time uh, I have a tendency to try to fix my own vehicles, which thank God I'm getting over now because it's very expensive to do that whenever you know what you're doing. Because you've got you to gotta try to fix it yourself, buy the parts, and then take the parts to the mechanic and beg him to fix it. And he charges you more. I don't know if you've been through that, but I have, sadly enough. And I remember that there was times where I thought I knew how, how that worked, how uh, a car would work. And maybe when you're 16 and you start to drive, you think, you know, you put the key in ignition, you turn it, and it goes. But the truth is there's a lot of stuff that happens to make that happen. And only until you tinker with it, until you try to take it apart and you realize why mechanics are so well paid, do you fully appreciate all this going on, all this going on. And I think in so many ways... Um, we're like that with Jesus. Then we say these words, Jesus saves. You'll probably see or hear it today. We spray paint it on overpasses or we hold signs. And yet, the mechanism that causes that salvation is tremendous. And it's worth thinking through and thinking about. But there are good ways and bad ways to do this. And sometimes you take things apart and you kind of know and you, you uh, trust what you're doing and it's, it's healthy and good. And sometimes you can take something apart and it can be a bad experience. It can be unhealthy. It can kind of destroy. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, I'm reminded of a story that I heard as a young person. Again, people around you when you're growing up will say like, oh, you have a tendency to be like so-and-so. Oh, yeah. And what I heard was that I was a lot like my dad. My dad was that kind of a person. He would take things apart. I don't know what that means, but that's what they said. But I did hear a story that my dad and the family share often uh, around Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that when the family's together. And it's that my aunt um, Gwen got a, a little bar a baby doll. And it was just back in the day. Now, I'm, I'm a little older than some of you, and, and she is quite a bit older than me, so this is back in the day. And it was this really cool dolly that whenever you shook it, which is a great, actually, model for <laughs> modern parenting, <laughs> it would say, Mama. I mean, and she just got this, and she was so excited. And you, you picked it up, the eyes would open, you played down, the eyes would close, but you shook it, and it would say, Mama, Mama, you know? And which explains a lot of what's wrong with us as kids, I guess, now that I think about it. But 
so she made a comment, maybe the second day she had this doll, I wonder how that works. And my dad, not being too subtle with this, went when she wasn't looking and got her doll and his pocket knife and then brought her a little plastic box and said, look, mama. And she, of course, is traumatized for life because he took it apart. He explained how it worked. But the problem was that it wasn't a good experience for her. So I pray today as we start to talk about salvation that we find in Jesus Christ that we don't have that type of experience. That we don't have the experience that, that it kills what is essentially good and wonderful about Jesus' salvation to us. But I think that some of what we've done as believers, some of what we've, we've professed and we've preached as believers, falls short of the gospel message of Jesus. I'm reminded of how I came to faith, and I'm not sure how what your experience has been thus far, but for many of us, it was, it was a, a time that you've made a decision, a time of decision in your life, and it, and it is that. Uh, but it was a very linear thought. It was, it was this thought that, that at this point in time in your life, God intervened on your behalf, and it's true at that point in time that happened, but it's a very linear way of thinking. And so in that way, when you met Jesus on that day, he saved you. And that's true. And we were, wherever you were at that point in your life, Jesus had his way with you. And for so many of us, and I think for all of us, it's unique. It's a unique experience that only God shares with us and that we have with him. And despite our thinking or understanding of it, it's a bit of a mystery how he did it in that time and that place. But in that place, we get a touch. We get, we get the healer's touch in our life. We get to know the one who made us, who created us. I'm not sure if you've had that experience yet. I pray that you have. I don't know if you think that experience is possible, but I pray that you do at least think it's possible. That the God who made you is longing to interfere in your life. That he's longing to meet you in a unique and special way. And so that's where many of us are left. So you have this moment with Jesus where you come and you repent of your sins and you believe and that's true and you're saved and that's true and then you're kind of left there. And we've talked about this a lot at Family Bible Church. But you're left right there at that moment in time. And then so for many of us, we look back like we were saying before in our last series. We look back at that as the high point of our life with Jesus. Well, today I want to talk maybe a little more about something that's beyond a linear view of salvation how salvation works in our lives in holistic ways, in ways that maybe we don't expect, don't see coming, and maybe would never have dreamed of happening. So I'm going to ask this morning if you would open your Bibles, if you brought them with you, uh, to John 3, verses 3 through 30. If you didn't bring your Bibles, um, we have them on the end of the chairs there. You can get one out. It's on page, uh, what's it say there, 738, 738. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to, show, you, uh, I'm going to show you something on the screen. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar, which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he what? be the Messiah? That was actually the... Um the text for today. And I, I just wanted to share that with you because I thought it was such a powerful presentation. It's, you can't get most of that. 
the experience of what that was like. And as we open the word today and reflect on this passage of scripture, um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me that God would guide us in this. Father God, this morning we come uh, dependent on you and longing to hear a word from you. And uh, we trust you to reveal yourself to us. You've, you've never, um, you've always been faithful. And so Lord, today we wait for you and uh, we long to know you better. Pray today that you would open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. And we know you have to do work on both sides or we won't get it. We won't understand it. So today, Lord, uh, have your way with us. Uh, we confess, like this woman, that, that we are sinners and that we don't know you as well as we should. And so today, Lord, we depend on you to do that work in our lives and we confess and repent of our sin that we might be holy and pleasing to you. Be glorified in our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's such a unique look at the text. There were so many things as I read and reread. I want to talk about this experience that, that this woman had at the well with Jesus, this Samaritan woman. And as I read and reread the text, it, it, it struck me how powerful um, it was to see it with my eyes. So this text teaches us many things about our experience with Jesus. And, and the one and the way that we started already this morning is saying that, that he meets us right where we are. And we saw in that video that Jesus shows up in our lives right where we are. Too often we think that this is the special time, that this is where we meet Jesus. And pastors are the worst. We think that we're going to call people to Jesus here on a Sunday morning. This is where it's going to happen. This is where God works. And, and God works in his church, but he works in your lives. The testimony about the woman at the well is that when Jesus came to her, she was doing her ordinary work, fetching water. What could be more mundane than that? And as she came to the well to, to, to draw water for herself, to quench her thirst and the thirst of, I'm sure, her children, her household, and whoever else, her husband at home that wasn't her husband, as she came to draw this water, someone asks her for something, and it's Jesus. He meets her not only at the place where, an ordinary place, but he meets her at a place of need in her life. And we talked about that this morning a little bit too. How in those times that we're really longing for something, really desirous of something, that's the time that Jesus meets us. And he comes in a way that's unexpected. There's much in this text to talk about, but I want to start in verse 7. And it says, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said, will you give me a drink? Again, he comes as one appearing to be in need. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How could you ask me for a drink? And Jesus went on to say, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. So, so he comes to this place and it's called Jacob's Well. And I want to give you a little bit of background on, on this location of this conversation. Everyone, I'm not sure if you do know or not who Jacob was, but Jacob was Israel. And Jacob was one who really wrestled with God. He gets his name Israel from that because he wrestled with God and with man. And in this time, in this place, when he's longing for a blessing, God comes to him and he wrestles all night. And in the morning, he gets his name Israel. And, and Jacob then becomes the promise 
the one who the promise is made to. That God continues his promise in Jacob. And this place, it says here in verse, verse 4, in Samaria is a town called Shekar, near the plot of, that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And so this, this land has a lot of meaning. It's kind of a crossroads. A place where God had made promises before that he was going to fulfill in times to come. The promises that he made to Jacob when they wrestled all night and he gave him a blessing and renamed him Israel. The promises that were made on Jacob's deathbed as he offered this plot of soil to his son Joseph. What's interesting about the place where Jacob's well is found is that it was an additional gift. It was above and beyond what the inheritance was. Everything had been divided, but at that last time, he gave Joseph the extra portion, the extra blessing. And the Samaritan woman who was drawing water from this well wasn't an heir to the promise. She says here, it's my father Jacob's well, but the truth is that she didn't have a rightful claim to it. And yet she was seeking to be quenched there, to, be, to have her thirst met there. See, the Samaritans were people who were kind of left behind. They were part of an invasion. They were part of another community. They were kind of a, a mess of people. But they gathered around the only hope they could find, and that hope was in this place, in this person of God through this father they know of, Jesus, of Jacob. And Jesus later confirms that, and he says, you don't even know as a Samaritan who you worship, but salvation will come from the Jews. Promising her the things to come. But I, wanna, I just want to share that the word clearly imparts today that the places that God meets us is not where we would always expect it. He meets us in our daily lives. He meets us in our da daily needs. And he meets us in the places that we long for hope. I'm not sure um, what your experience of God has been so far. And I'm not sure it's been the ways you'd expect it to be. The way Jesus meets us too is not expected. It's not only that he meets us in places we don't expect him, but he meets us in a way that we don't expect. And I want to read here. In verse 15, the woman said, Sir, give me this water. He makes this proposition. I will give you water that you'll never thirst again. That's the promise that stands for you and I today. And in that place, she says, give it to me so I can, won't get thirsty. And listen to what she says, and I'll never have to come here and draw water again. But in this place that he meets her in this uncommon way as a common man, he tells her, go and get your husband and come back. And she reports to him, I have no husband, which he knows full well. The way that Jesus meets us right where we are is he speaks truth into our lives. And I'm afraid sometimes that we don't want to hear it. It leads to a moment of repentance. It leads to a moment of change. And that's the place where salvation begins. That's the place where it starts in our life. When she realizes that Jesus knows everything about her, 
and accepts her anyway. When he would receive anything from her, it's a life-changing moment. And it's the beginning of salvation in her life. And it's the beginning of the work of God in her life. And even Jesus says here, he alludes to the gift that he's going to send when he says, if you have the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, you would know who was talking to you now. But she looks past to the practical needs she has. I'm not sure what the experience has been for you. You've had that moment in your life where God meets you right where you are, and I don't know if it's today or not. I don't know if it's been in the past or if it's in the future for you. But there comes that time in your life where you meet the God who is speaking, the God who matters, not the God of our imaginations, but the God who is. And that place is life-changing. That's a place that we're known fully for the first time, maybe, But so for much of Christianity, we've gotten stuck right there. We've left ourselves right there at that moment in time. But the other truth that this text gets to for us in our lives is that Jesus knows us full well. And not only does he meet us where we are, but he knows our past. And he knows what we've been through he knows the struggles. He knows the fears. He knows the longings of your heart. And I think it probably this is a hard text for me as a guy to get into because I don't know what it would be like to be called out. I know what it's like as a sinner to be called out on my sins, but I don't know what it's like for her to be called out on that. When he says, well, go get your husband and I will give you eternal water. You know, what, what, what is it that God says to you? If you go and get that, you can be righteous with me. And you know what? With the woman at the well, you and I, we have to say, we don't have it. It's not there, Lord. We, I can't go and get that and bring that to you to trade you for living water. In that place, at that time, we're completely broken. We're hopelessly lost. We have no way to receive it. Nothing to offer in return. But Jesus knows our past. He knows it full well. And I'll even share something else that I've come to believe since that moment of conversion that I had so many years ago. When God started working in my life in ways that I could not have imagined, and I'm not bragging about that because I've done nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it. It's not mine at all. It's his to me. Is that not only does he know your past, but he seeks to redeem it. When he tells this woman the truth about her past. Unlike so many of us who would shirk away, who would be fearful of that, who would say, no, no, I'll, I'll, get, I'll go get him. I mean, how easy would that have been for her? I'll, I'll, I'll go get my righteousness. I'll, I'll bring him back to you and show him to you. And instead, she admits it. Yes, you're right. You're right. In this ordinary place of need and of hope, where our lives intersect 
with the one who made us. He comes and he admits to us that he knows all about us and he's willing to accept us anyway. That's a crazy thought about how salvation works in our life. I want to share that with you this morning because I'm afraid that, that too many of us aren't like that woman, that we wouldn't be willing to admit our past. We wouldn't be willing to let God use it, to let God redeem it for his glory. Too many of us as Christians believe that we should be better than that now, that we're righteous now, and you are, that we have salvation now, and you do. And so we leave everything behind, and God says, wait a minute, I knew you when I called you. I knew everything about you. And we shouldn't be afraid of our past. What we realize in Jesus is that the questions that he wants to get to in our lives isn't the questions of the head, but of the heart. It's the questions of, of what are we hoping for? What is our righteousness found in? Jesus knows our past and he's seeking to redeem it. And, and I, I don't know how that's working in your life, but I hope that you're letting it work. I can tell you for a fact that there are some folks here at Family Bible that it is working in their lives, that God is redeeming past hurts and past loss and past failure. And, and I know this is not fun stuff to talk about because we want to act like everything's okay, but it's not. And we need a Savior. Jesus comes. I mean, how crazy is it that when he comes to the well and he sets down his disciples, those that he's teaching, the men, you've seen them, they went to town, they had things to do, they were busy. And that place, Jesus chooses to reveal himself to one who has no part of the promise, who has no claim to the future. When she hears this about herself, her first thought, actually, is he knows me. He knows who I am. So, and, and she starts to, to ask him questions. She says, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place to worship is Jerusalem, right? And Jesus makes this quote, you may know it full well, but he says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither here nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But here's what he says, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Because they're the kind of worshipers that God, the Father, is looking for. Still true today. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. She knows enough to ask the right questions. She, she knows enough to say, I, I, you're not ordinary, Jesus. So help me understand some things about how this works. Help me understand how, how we're supposed to worship or where we're supposed to gather or what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to behave. And at that time, he says, nobody's quite got it right yet because salvation is coming through the promise to Israel. But a time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that's the call that's still upon our lives to respond to the love that we have in Jesus. To worship in spirit and in truth. 
You know, I was, I've been reading a book called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And it's a really good book. And, and he talks about the miracles of the Bible. And he says that every time there's a miracle in the Bible, the proper response is worship. That's our proper response as believers in Jesus is worship. And the question here goes to that same point when he says, there's coming a time when you will worship in spirit and in truth. It will be part of who you are. It will be part of your being to respond to God. Because they're the kind of people that God is looking for. What a beautiful word. Well, she goes on and she says, I know that the Messiah, the one called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said this, and I want you to catch this for a minute here. He said, I am he who is speaking to you. I who speak to you and he. He says, I am the Messiah. Now you go, okay, yeah, we got it. We understand. Jesus is the Messiah. The promise that was made so long ago to Israel, the promise was made so long ago to Abraham, the promise was made that they were standing by this well that was drilled to bring water to this village because of this plot of land that was promised to Joseph on the deathbed of Jacob, who was Israel, because he wrestled with God, who was Abraham's son. The promises that were fulfilled in this place were fulfilled in this person of Jesus. Did you see what happened in the video? It's consistent with the text. Just then, his disciples returned. God took great delight in revealing this to who? His disciples? Those who were asking all the right questions and standing? He revealed it to a woman at the well. this ridiculously magnificent message that the promises for the whole world, the promises for the Jew and the Samaritan alike, the promises were fulfilled in him. The disciples missed it. They weren't there for it. This is God's great pleasure in our lives to reveal the truth of the gospel to folks just like us. And so we have, not only do we have Jesus meeting us where we are, and not only do we have Jesus knowing our past, but then he begins to speak about our future and what's coming. He tells us a time is coming we'll worship in spirit and in truth. And I think in ways that we cannot imagine that if you've had that moment with Jesus, if you've had that moment of believing him, it says there that she believed him, right? If you have that moment... Where, she, where you believe Jesus, it's the beginning of your journey, but there's more to it. You're going to be shaped in ways that you weren't quite ready for. By the grace of God, growing more and more into that person who's worshiping him in spirit and in truth, who is just present before their God, who's just giving everything back, the miracles that he's done in your life, that you're giving him glory for it. We're going to be speaking next week about eternal life, but I, I want to, you to know that what we do, this, this journey that we start with Jesus, that moment of salvation, it doesn't end there, but it goes on. It goes on. The time, the time that's coming is now. The time that's, 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 eternity has begun.
And to many of us act like we're waiting for it. It's already started. In this place, we find that, and then we see that the, the model that we have breaks down. Whenever we can keep talking about what God did there, what God did then. And I think that this process of the way he shapes our future is what we call discipleship in the church. It means learning after him and being his and being in relationship with him and following him every day and, and not, just, not just in these Sunday morning times, not just in this time, in this place, but in the hard parts of our lives. I think probably one of the most amazing things that we've seen in our life is that God is transforming us in ways that we never thought he cared about. The stuff that we thought, God's not worried about that. He wants this. And God's like, I want all of that. I want all of you. I'm not sure if you're having that experience in your life or not. That God begins to work. And I was thinking through this, and I, I was thinking about, you know, if it's not this linear model, if it's not this point in the line, and then and at best we would say, well, you're saved here, and then everything forward is better, and then we can you can look for this coming this way, and we can dwell on the future and, and keep kind of talking about what's coming, what's coming, what's coming. It's getting better and better. But if it's not this line, if it's not this point in our life that goes that way only, but it's something more that we find in Jesus, what does it look like? And this isn't perfect at all, but this is the closest thing I could think of. As this woman was drawing water at the well, and Jesus revealed himself in that place and at that time, it's, it's much more, I believe, like a wave. Can you imagine water that you would never have to thirst for again? And we still, you know, the practical need that she was talking about 2,000 years ago at Jesus at the well still isn't met. So many people don't, don't even have something to drink today. The practical need must have been immense that she would, she could, really, Jesus? So rather than, than being this... Um, this, this line that starts, I was thinking about it, and it reminds me much more of, of, of a wave in our lives. That we have this moment, and it is a moment with God, and I don't want to say it's not for a minute. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you've not repented of your sins and believed on him for salvation, you are hopelessly lost. You will not get into heaven without Jesus. And there's no other way. Because this promise that God made to Israel way back then was fulfilled in Christ. He became sin for us. He's the atonement for what we've done. He's the one that makes the Samaritans past redeemable. And so we have this moment with, with Jesus where we come to him and we believe on his name and we see him and we know him and it's such a powerful moment. And you see how that worked? And it just kind of hits. And it's really dramatic. And it's, but it begins this process. It begins. It happens so fast here. It begins to send these shockwaves out in our lives in following him. It begins to, Jesus begins to do work in our lives that we could not have imagined. And I don't mean just the future prosperity, wonderful, heaven, eternal, that's true. But I mean past, redemption, 
healing, wholeness. And it all starts with that moment he interferes in our life. And you know, I'm convinced as Jesus' touch begins to work itself throughout our lives and, and to mix and to redeem and to get into those dark places that we don't really, we, we don't know what to do with them. He begins to make us completely transformed. Completely changed. I want to say that when you're redeemed in Jesus, the rules of the way the world will look at things doesn't matter anymore. Because it's kingdom work. You begin to be made whole, not for the life that you had only, but for the life that you have coming. Jesus works in through all of our lives in all these ways, and he begins to root out sin, and we begin, we continually confess it, and this is how salvation works in our lives. And it's not our job, it's Jesus in us, but it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of what he did on the cross. I want to share another passage with you. It's from Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 25. I just want to read it to you. Hear what the word of God says. This is the first testament, by the way. The prophet, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about his redemption. And this is what he says in verse 25 of chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water over you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will be put in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give to you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit. Listen, this is the first testament. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. God promises I will save you from all of your uncleanness. God promised so long ago that he was going to bring this water, bring this presence, bring this person of Jesus, this Messiah that even the Samaritan woman knew to call for. And this is who we find in Jesus. This is how salvation works in our lives. And it's not cheap and it's not easy but it's free to us. Jesus paid a lot for it. I want to finish right here in, this, in this, the book of John still. I just want to read this last thought to you. And it's that, that Jesus offers salvation to everyone. That in this place, after meeting the Samaritan woman, the disciples come back and they have a little bit of a conversation. And uh, I want to pick up in verse 39. This is what it says. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, listen, because of the woman's testimony. Why? Because she said, he told me everything I ever did. 
in that moment with Jesus at the well when he told her about her husband, she knew in her soul that he knew everything about me. Who could know that but Jesus? And because of her testimony to them, they believed, it says, right? Many believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And listen, Jesus stayed there with these Samaritans for two days, which would be unheard of. They would hang around, usually ran as quickly as you could through that town. You didn't hang out with these kind of people. And Jesus stuck around for two days with them. And because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. Listen to what verse 42 says to us. The townspeople said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, because now we've heard for ourselves. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's the same offer that Jesus makes to you today. If you don't know that the one that we're following is saving the world, pray you would today. So many of us think that our testimony is going to be enough, that our conviction will be enough, that our passion will be enough. But Jesus comes to you where you are. I hope you're experiencing that today. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come today uh, just like that woman at the well. Nothing to offer of ourselves. Nothing to bring to the conversation of righteousness. No holiness that we can rely upon. Just longing for a Savior. Today, Jesus, we ask that you reveal yourself to us in that way. We've known your touch. We know that you know us. And we just celebrate today that you're redeeming all of us, that nothing is left behind, that all of it is yours. Today, Lord, I pray that if, if we need to leave something with you, we would leave it today. If, if we need to trust you with something, we would trust you with it today. If there's, if there's that part of our lives we think that, oh, we'd rather forget about that, Lord, we pr I pray that we would let you redeem it. We'd let you heal it. That we could be made whole in you. You're an awesome God. You're worthy of all praise. You came, and I, we can't express fully what you did on the cross. We can't fully understand the price that you paid that we who are sinners would be saved but we believe it we believe in you today thank you for working so wonderfully in our lives and for never leaving us alone we give you praise and glory today for what you have done what you're going to do. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In response today, we're going to invite you to just kind of stay where you are. And if you want to, if you need to get right, you can do it right where you're at. This isn't magic. This isn't a human thing. This is a God thing. Just 
you can go to him right where you are with anything you have. So I'd invite you to do that, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, worship, respond and worship together.